Hello and welcome to this edition of Conversations. I'm Noah Epstein. And I'm Alessandra Veron. This week we're going to talk about the devastating snowstorm in Texas, Fernando Tatis's huge contract, and some movies and TV shows we recently saw, while highlighting the representation of women in entertainment. Later we will talk with Alicia Brancato, the coordinating producer of Ability Media TV, about people with disabilities in media. All right, Alessandra, what's been uh, what's been going on lately? How you doing? I'm good. I mean, this has definitely been the most stressful week of the semester thus far, but coming to a nice recovery before a busy weekend. How are you? I'm good. Um, a lot of work as well, but weather outside, the weather outside is gorgeous. I mean, last week we had we had a lot of snow. It went from snow weather to today being shorts weather. Yeah, it's, so I'm, it's I'm really great. happy about that. <laughs> Me too. Um, I mean, this month, in terms of weather, has brought some unprecedented winter conditions to certain areas of the United States, particularly Texas, where temperatures reached below zero in the northern parts of the state and remained well below 20 degrees Fahrenheit for days on end. I mean, Noah, we're from the Northeast, so we're used to stuff like this, but it's just kind of unheard of down there. Yeah, no, I, I, I heard of it and it was crazy. I didn't realize that, like, if if <laughs> if it snowed in Texas, that they would they would panic and they would have so many issues the way that they did. We we take snow for, not for granted, but like we take it just as a given that it's, oh, we live in the Northeast. It's going to snow a lot yeah. during the winter, obviously. But um, Texas's natural gas was clearly unprepared for the cold and people died. They they don't know. They don't really know like what to do. It's kind of crazy. I mean, they also said that um, they also said they don't know the exact amount of people who die. They it'll take them either weeks or months to decide, which is which is kind of crazy. And um, I actually saw a video on Barstool that some people thought the snow was fake it was like so weird some people like were picking up the snow and they were they tried like heating it up in a microwave and they tried like lighting it on fire because they thought it was like a government conspiracy and they thought like the entire thing was fake (laughs) yeah i mean i honestly i don't know how one could think that when it is that (laughs) cold outside but really my concern is just with the people of texas i have a good friend who lives down there and i messaged her and i was like hey like are you are you okay how are you doing and she's like oh yeah I'm, i'm all right how are you and i was like i I kind of meant like, are you freezing? And she said, oh, you heard about Texas? I was like, didn't even realize it was I was like, Shelby, everyone heard about Texas. Like, are you OK? Do you need anything? And she was like, oh, you know, like, fortunately, like my block has power. We got it back after a day. But most of the people around her didn't. Her girlfriend didn't have any power in her house. It's been tough. And, you know, like you said, we know what to do when it gets cold out and we know what not to do, more importantly. But you know, down there, they're not used to that kind of weather. So they don't have to learn about different precautions to take, like sitting in your garage, in your car and, the, you know, the carbon monoxide, it, it will kill you. And they don't know that. And it's not because they're dumb. Like a lot of people on Twitter are like, how are you so stupid to not know that? But it's like they don't need to know that because it's not a concern in Texas, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like I said before, it's just crazy that we just oh, we always have snow. We never think about like, oh, this part. Yeah. I remember uh a couple of years ago it was huge because Israel had snow. Yeah. And it was like it was like, oh my God, Israel has snow. It's crazy. And then literally in the like, desert. <laughs> people have picked up uh, uh, oh my God. <laughs> Pictures of people just holding the snow in in awe, in awe of it. It's it was yeah. crazy. So yeah. in sports news, San Diego Padres shortstop Fernando Tachis Jr. has signed a 14-year extension worth $340 million. This is the third largest contract in baseball history behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, and now the longest. Tatis will be making just over $24 million per year, which I believe is more than Alessandra and I make from this podcast. <laughs> I know you're, now, Alessandra, I know you're not a huge sports fan, but do you think these athletes deserve this kind of money? That's a complicated question, Noah, because the thing is, sports is an incredibly lucrative industry. 
there is no doubt that the sports entertainment industry is worth millions, if not billions of dollars. But are people, I don't think so, especially, you know, in baseball specifically, I read that the minor league players don't even make minimum wage. Um, I honestly believe that when it comes to sports contracts, there should be a contract cap. You shouldn't be able to pay a player more than, you know, X amount of money per year. And then the rest of the money goes not to their agents, not to these, you know, higher up people who aren't even playing the game, but it goes back into kind of the pool. You you fund sports programs across the country. You help get notoriety for women's leagues where the players try just as hard, but the nation just isn't as interested because they don't have as, as good of a publicity or as good of a program, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, well, first thing, like I understand about sports in general, baseball doesn't have a salary cap. <laughs> so that's just one thing. That's a huge reason why the players get paid a lot, like a lot more than other sports. That's why you see that I believe three in the top six or seven of all athletes are just baseball professional players, baseball players. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also, it's also because they play a 162 game season, which is the longest out of all sports. Mm-hmm. And 340 millions, obviously, a ton of money, but that's what we're seeing with pro athletes nowadays. They're getting paid a lot, like especially in baseball. Um, the top two, which I mentioned, Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, that was a couple years ago. It was last year and two years ago mm-hmm. that those contracts came out. The the market's getting bigger, like as as we go on and on. Um, Tatis also, I know, like again, you're not like a huge sports fan, but he has become in the past year or so the face of baseball. Yeah, he's yeah. really he's really exciting to watch. Uh, there's a whole movement of um, let the kids play. Uh, I don't know if you know that movement, but it's pretty much just like he's really exciting to watch. He hits a home run and has a huge bat flip and everyone goes crazy for him. Yeah. Uh, he's become must-see TV. And I think he he deserves a lot of money. These players deserve a lot of money. And as I, I'll agree with you on this part. $340 million? I don't know. I don't know about that much. But um, he de- they definitely deserve a lot. And like I said, Major League Baseball is a huge market. So that's, that's yeah, what you know. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about that. I just think it's it's one of those things where – no one needs $340 million in their lifetime. And you have people who are really the backbone of our society, teachers, doctors, truck drivers, who will never see that amount of money. And I don't think that it's fair that people who, I hate to phrase it like this because it sounds patronizing, but I don't mean it in that way. People who play a game for a living get to get slapped in the lap of luxury. And I it's the same thing I feel. I feel the same way about movie stars. Film is my industry, and I don't think anyone in film should be making that much money either. They just don't need it. And there are so many ways where it can be kind of put back into the population for the greater good to make sure that everyone anywhere who has a passion for a sport can play it, you know? Yeah, no, I see your point. Also, um, I'm not sure the exact number, but due to taxes and his agent getting money, I believe Tatis is only getting like a hundred something of those $340 million over the next 14 years. Poor baby. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not saying poor thing. Guy. I'm just saying he's not actually getting all Yeah, that money, and that is important to, to note. But I, I will say that I would rather see the players get this money than the agents or the owners of the team because they're the ones breaking their backs. And frankly, in some sports, their brains to you know, make that much money. Yeah. Changing gears to entertainment, we finally know the title of the third Spider-Man film. After some trolling by the cast, the film's name was revealed to be Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh my God. I cannot express my excitement (laughs) for this movie. I, oh my, okay, so Homecoming (laughs) and Far From Home, I know. Homecoming and Far From Home, they were both really good. I probably liked them more than a lot of 
my friends, I'd say. And first of all, yeah, you just mentioned the trolling. That like that literally made me tear up of like laughter because of how funny that was. Because Tom Holland always spoils stuff, and it's on like every interview that he's on, whether it's like Kimmel or Fallon or whatever. They always talk about how he like spoils everything. Oh yeah. So they <laughs> so him, uh, Jacob Batalon, and uh, Zendaya all put fake titles the day before it was announced. All I'm on saying Instagram. is there's no chance Tom Holland knew the actual title. He found out oh, with no, us. No, 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 yeah, I yeah, am yeah. convinced <laughs> because, of that. Because if they actually told him the title. Because you then know he put the homie would have been on Instagram like on set being like, <laughs> oh, there's no way home. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then even in the videos, and they said the last movie title you revealed, like you revealed the last movie title. Yeah. So, and then they zoom into the no way home. That was so cool. It gave me goosebumps. That was awesome. Love it. Um, and also, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield said to reprise their uh, reprise their roles. So, oh yeah. my God, it's gonna be Spider Verse is insane. I, December seventeenth cannot come soon enough. Yeah. Although I heard that um, in an interview with Tom Holland, he said this is his last film on contract. So he said he'd be happy to return if they want him back in more films. But this could be really consequential for the MCU, and so soon after Endgame too. And with the way that um, the last film ended, I just am, I am scared. <laughs> I'm scared for Loki. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to start this movie off. Also, I mean, there's the whole like Sony versus, versus oh, Marvel yeah. thing, which that we didn't think we were going to get another movie. And yeah. then we got what one. What a and... way it would have ended if we did not yeah, exactly. solve that problem. We, as if you and I had anything to do with it. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, the fans, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, fans fans, the fans had a good enough yeah, to do with it, honestly. Definitely. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, the... Far From Home was definitely one of those, one of the most frustrating films I've ever watched in terms of how it ended. In a good way. It was really oh, it well was written. Awesome cliffhanger. But I watched it and I wanted to like rip my eyeballs out of their sockets. I was like, are you kidding me? Also, <laughs> like, we we know, so they went, um, I thought about this, they, they went, obviously it's the Home trilogy because it's Homecoming, Far From Home, now No Way Home. Mm -hmm. And also the last, the, 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 lo the last line of the movie in Homecoming and Far From Home were both the exact same thing. It was what the what that. the f. It was the exact same line. So we 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 know the only thing that we know about this movie is it's going to end on the line what the f. That <laughs> That's, oh my god. They, they seem to be going with that with that uh, transition, but Goodness which gracious. is probably what I'm going to say after the movie because of how the awesome MCU it's be. man. What did we do? Oh <laughs> what did we do to deserve this? She's awesome. Oh MCU. You want you want to continue with MCU? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So um, WandaVision has been airing on Disney Plus every Friday. And so many of Marvel fans love this show, including myself. Uh, the eighth episode came out today, and I personally cannot wait for the finale next week. Uh, I know you've been watching it too, so what do you think of it? Okay, I haven't seen episode eight, but aside from that, I am all caught up and I am in love. Personally, Vision especially, but Wanda as well, are two of my favorite characters in the MCU, which is really weird because a lot of people... I don't really like them very much. You know, in, in the comics, people are fans, but in terms of the way they were portrayed in the films, it's a little more contested. I think that, you know, the show is a bit predictable, but that is barely even a weakness because of how well executed everything is. The format is spectacular, and the writers know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to manipulate that format to the advantage of the show. I mean, spoiler alert for episode seven, but the reveal of Agnes or Agatha as the villain wasn't really surprising to me. Maybe that's just because I'm a film person and my brain kind of works that way. But the way they did it was fantastic. It was a jaw-dropping ending, <laughs> even though it wasn't necessarily a jaw-dropping reveal. Okay, so I just, before I get to my points, I just want to say, besides the Agatha reveal, 
Well, I don't. I, I kind of disagree that it's been predictable. Like I've been so confused throughout a lot of really? the show. <laughs> the first three episodes, I had no idea what was going on at the end of all of them because we didn't know. Like, I guess the 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 fake reality thing. I guess like was we we like knew, but there's a lot of there's a lot of like pl- not like plot twists, but like weird things that happen that I'm like, okay, what does that even mean? So yeah, I, I mean, there were definitely a lot of like clues being dropped and you know i see on twitter that it's like you know watching wandavision it's like everything is a clue and i was like clue for what this all seems pretty clear to me i was like i don't even i'm not even going to be looking into these theories because i feel like i understand everything that's in front of me and maybe that's just me being naive after having taken you know a big step back i was super super dedicated to you know the mcu um leading up to endgame i did a whole road to endgame with my friends we marathoned the movies in chronological order and it was awesome, but then I was just burnt out, so I haven't really been keeping up. So it's been really nice, actually, the change of gears, just watching WandaVision and being like, yeah, I'm going to sit and enjoy this and like not worry about all these stressful theories that make me upset. <laughs> yeah, a lot of theories. Um, you said the, the Agatha reveal. That is like the best theme song ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Agatha all along. I listened to it so many times that oh my god! It's been like ringing in my ears yep, every yep. night before I go to bed. I'm like, mm, it's mm, awesome. Mm, mm. <laughs> every night, I for the past three or four episodes, I've stayed up till four a up till three a.m. Oh my god! Uh, to watch it on Fridays because I just I can't I can't risk for me. I just like I did this for Mandalorian also. I just can't risk like waking up and someone texting me something that happened, which I know is like unrealistic, but yeah. I just want to. Watch Anyone who does that is a fake friend, and you shouldn't associate with them. <laughs> facts. That is that is very true. Um, but there's, I, I so I obviously won't spoil anything because I know you haven't watched episode eight yet. But Thank you. all I'll say is they they have a lot of things to to tell us in the finale. There's a lot that like kind of has to happen. So I'm I'm a little confused of how they're gonna do that if it's like another forty minute episode. Yeah. But we'll see. Maybe they'll maybe they'll make it like an hour. But either way, we'll see we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I've actually heard talks of there being a surprise 10th episode because so this year i'm pretty sure we only go about a week or two without new marvel content yeah because right when wandavision ends loki's picking up you know with only one week gap in between and then loki um and so on and so forth um i wouldn't be surprised like it, a 10th episode is something that wouldn't necessarily surprise me but i also wouldn't really care if they didn't do it um but it, it is going to be a crazy year for the mcu there's also a surprise cameo they said which i can't, i know i shouldn't be thinking about it because like i i don't like rumors oh and God. stuff but i can't stop thinking about it evan peters was enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's true that, yeah, that was, i actually that really i cool. i only watched wandavision this past week and somehow avoided every single spoiler yeah that's impressive. and i'm active on twitter my <laughs> my twitter is popping oh is it yeah okay <laughs> so I'm very surprised that I like I avoided that. Um, you know, he showed up at the door, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. Um, I, I I love how it like started out as a bunch of subcoms. Like I said, I didn't really know what was going on where they were going with it at the beginning, but uh, then it goes into a lot of MCU stuff and like the oh my god, the Malcolm in the Middle intro, the Office <laughs> yeah. intro. Oh, that just that that hit yeah. that. The homie that hit said home. Wanda, but everywhere. Going back in time a little bit, um, I saw Wolf of Wall Street for the first time this week, and I heard that it's your favorite movie. It is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it it edges out Empire Strikes Back. It, I I've I was going back and forth a little bit, but like yes, I would say that that hurts me. 
I mean, it's me deep. Why? Because you love Empire. I Strikes. love Star Wars. Oh well, yeah, I love Star Wars too. It's my Empire is my second favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, Leo. First of all, Leo's my favorite actor ever. Just, just yeah, he's great. Uh, he, him and Jonah Hill are an awesome duo. They're both like really funny at times, but they also give like really, really, really good performances. Um, even like McConaughey's in a couple scenes, and he steals the show. I one hundred percent agree. I was like, you're telling me this man's only in. 10 minutes of the film he's fantastic yeah he was in a couple minutes where before when like uh when jordan belfort wasn't you know like yeah before a bad he really, guy yet. Yeah. <laughs> when he was like an innocent innocent guy and he, he just stole he absolutely stole the show and martin scorsese is one of my favorite directors like i also love the departed goodfellas are absolute masterpieces of cinema as well um the soundtrack is great uh as usual for a scorsese film mm-hmm. uh i'm just entertained the whole time uh, especially by Leo. Every time I see Leo's speech, I literally want to run through a brick wall. Yeah. Every single time I see that. You know, fun fact, <laughs> I assume you're talking about the, the I'm not leaving. Yeah, I'm not leaving. Um, yeah. <laughs> a fun fact about that is that the day they did that scene, Leo DiCaprio was incredibly sick. Between takes, he was like sitting with a bucket, like sweating and like just vomiting. Like the homie was not doing well that day. And yet he showed up and he did his thing. And so I really have to commend him for that part of his performance especially but you're right no it was it was really well acted and you know beyond that like cinematically speaking it's incredibly well done it was shot beautifully the colors are great and they're a a bit of a departure from the colors that are normally used in Scorsese's films which tend to be dark and dreary um and of course Thelma Schoonmaker uh his his editor is insane she's great um they used about five different cameras I think over the course of filming at one point even an iPhone um for one scene and you don't notice unless they want you to so i definitely have to commend it for that but my issue is the execution of the story it's entertaining and i understand that it's a true story so there are limitations but compare it to another scorsese hit raging bull you know i didn't really like raging bull i'll say that um i appreciate it but what i appreciated the most about it was that jake lamada the main character we get to see him suffer the consequences of his actions he is also, like Jordan Belfort, a pretty objectively bad person, you know, a misogynist, a, a wife beater, you know, things like that. And we get to see, you know, what happens to him after living such a, a hedonistic and destructive lifestyle. But The Wolf of Wall Street kind of skims over that part. You know, Jordan Belfort gets to narrate his own story. And so we we graze over, you know, the psychological effects the emotional kind of aftermath of him going to jail of him making the decision to become a better person it's kind of like ah yes then i went to jail and now i'm a i'm a motivational speaker and everything's fine and that's really my my biggest gripe it's to the point where i think it it glorifies the lifestyle that he lived because the consequences aren't shown enough so i agree with you i i I was thinking a lot about what you're saying, and I agree with you about the very end where it said like he he just went to jail and then got out. Um, I kind of like that's kind of like a good fellas kind of. Oh, I thought it was gonna be. I thought jail was gonna be uh hard, but then it but it turned out it was actually a really good kind of thing. And then he was like playing tennis and all. Uh, that was kind of like that. So that was that was like Scorsese to me. But they did show he sh- they showed like in a way about him quote unquote like facing his consequences for a little bit. Like for example when after the boat crash, after the, the, the ship. The sinking, yeah, yeah. the sinking of the ship. 
uh, he saw the the plane that was sent to pick him up exploding in the sky, like blowing up yeah. after a bird flew into the into the engine. I think mm-hmm. uh, when the song Glory was playing. Yep. <laughs> um, so then he then the voiceover said like that's when I knew it was enough. It had to stop. Like he 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 saw he it was like a visualization of him seeing what all of his problems have caused. It was like a really like I think that's a beautiful thing because it's like a representation of everything that was that was bad everything that was all the all the drugs all the problems in his life everything that he was doing he just it with with one image with that plane exploding we just saw like oh my god that was the plane that i sent to come pick me up what am i doing with my life like that kind of realization so that's what i thought that was kind of like a a beautiful way of showing maybe not to the extent that you would want or or maybe other audience members want but that like oh wow some consequences. Though. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a fair point. And I think for someone who, you know, like you and I sitting here can like appreciate that and kind of go deeper into that representation. However, even after that happens, like we have yet to see Jordan Belfort sexually assault his wife. We have him. We have yet to see him hit her to relapse, to go to jail, to really actually start suffering the consequences of the most morally corrupt things he's done and really you know like you said it's like jail was fine you know we don't we don't see that and for a three-hour movie i really wanted a a deeper you know emotional exploration into his low points um because i think that you know a lot of people you know for a lot of people it's like it's the frat boy's favorite movie and i think part of the reason for that is because it does enough glorification of the lifestyle where you have hot women and drugs that are fun and scamming people and getting rich that people can look at it and be like yeah that's what i want to be without understanding that that is not what you want to be it's not even what jordan belfort wants to be you know that's true it was it was very hollywoodized yeah also (laughs) it does not pass the bechdel test which is an issue for me um the bechdel test if anyone does not know is what's used to measure female representation in fiction basically all it consists of to pass the Bechdel test a piece of work has to have two named female characters that have at least one conversation with each other about something that isn't men and the only film I know of Scorsese's that passes that is Goodfellas surprisingly enough I looked into it um there are others I just haven't seen them so I, I couldn't confirm or deny I'm not really a huge Scorsese fan but Unfortunately, he's really not alone in that. Um, more of his films than Steven Spielberg's passed the Bechdel test, actually. Uh, all I can say to that is I agree that there could be better ways of of representing females in his films. However, with like The Wolf of Wall Street, it's Jordan's story. Yeah. And there's no, like, besides um, Duchess, uh, Margot Robbie's character, besides her, there's no other, like, female lead in his life kind of so mm-hmm. there there wasn't really the ability to have that like female on female like conversation that's fair yeah that's so definitely it, it's fair. like his story he's telling the story and then all the guys that he works with are guys obviously there are a few a few women that he mm-hmm. works with but the conversations with them are with or with the guys that he works with so yeah and margot robbie was great it was a great yeah. the female talent in that movie though there's not a lot of it is spectacular i just wish i got to see it utilized in ways that weren't for you know sex appeal um, yeah but that that is life, I guess. Yeah. So uh, to stay with this topic, let's talk about how women are portrayed in media and entertainment. Recently, the documentary Framing Britney Spears aired, and it highlights an example of how women may be treated or represented, like what you talked about with Martin Scorsese in his movies just now. So what do you feel about this subject in general? 
So I, this is a subject that I'm very passionate about as a woman who is looking to go into entertainment, all that behind the camera. Um, it's incredibly frustrating to see. Of course, you know, we grew up in the early 2000s when most of the drama with Britney Spears and the other women of that time who were mistreated, Lindsay Lohan, the Olsen twins, Amanda Bynes, was really going down. So we're kind of seeing the aftermath, the fallout of of all of that. We didn't live through it in the way that a lot of people did. But the trend, the theme is women, your value is your sex. But if you show it, then you're you're demonized. You know, there is no way of winning. It's like this, it's like a Virgin Mary concept and bear with me on it in the sense that what people want to see is women saying, no, 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 like I am modest, I will wait. And then after pressure, giving in with grace and still providing the sex appeal that everybody really wants to see, but they have to follow certain steps for it. And that's why, you know, there are people like Emma Watson who, you know, were not, she she has done, you know, not very illicit shoots, but she's a beautiful woman and she owns that. But we never see her in tabloids. It was like the the switch flipping with Miley Cyrus. She was a Disney star and then she decided that she didn't want to do that anymore. And it was a rough transition and people were all over her for it. She was very widely mistreated. Um, and Britney Spears, what she's going through is is an extreme of that end with her uh, her honestly insane father, who I'm pretty sure thinks we're living in feudal times because he legitimately owns his daughter um, with the conservatorship. Um, it's extremely tragic. It's extremely unfair. And I don't think that conservatorship should exist, period. Um, free Britney. That's my stance. <laughs> Take it away, Noah. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. Like, women are often misrepresented, as, as, as you said, by sometimes it could be by lack thereof, like with the Bechtel test, as you said, um, where like there aren't enough women in in the film or in the movie or in the TV show or whatever, or just in the wrong ways, which, mm -hmm. which you're saying, too. Um, children are also represented poorly a lot of the time too. Like I know in the Netflix movie Cuties that was released last year, Oof. I know they were they they were sexualizing children, which is obviously gross and disgusting, and there's no no part in media whatsoever. So what is what is your take on on, on some of that? Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. Is that children definitely face a lot of the brunt of this? They are forced into um, the narrative that child stars and women in entertainment are expected to fall into. And with Cuties, I will say that I have not seen the film. I did read a lot about it. It just wasn't a film that interested me, so I didn't watch it. Um, the issue was less the content and more the marketing. Um, the The woman who made it, um, she did not market it the way that Netflix did. Um, it won awards at festivals it was pretty highly regarded and then netflix decided that the way they were going to um put the trailer together the images that they were going to use to advertise the movie were more promiscuous looking photos of these young girls you know going by the sex sells thing except these girls are like 12 you know and and that's the issue is that this wasn't saying look this movie talks about the ridiculous expectations that society has and how they affect young girls. It's saying, look at these young girls being promiscuous, you know? And that's what 
is done, you know, in in narrative entertainment. And that's what's done in, you know, the e-news type of entertainment, the entertainment journalism. People want things to talk about. They want things to hate. And the easiest thing to do is to attach women to men, because that's really the lens that these young girls are are looked at through is their sex appeal and, and, you know, how they are existing in relationship to men. It's always, do you have a boyfriend? You know, this and that. And to be critical of that. So moving on from one heavy topic to another, um, disability representation in media is a huge topic right now. So we have Alicia Broncado here with us from Ability Media, a multimedia organization partnered with Quinnipiac to address the issue of poor disability representation in entertainment. Alicia is not only the coordinating producer to my director of Ability Media TV, but also my roommate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. You know, I'm dandy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, so your position at Ability Media is coordinating producer. So could you tell us uh, more about what you do? Yeah, um, I do a lot of things. I don't think all of it really does follow fall under the umbrella of coordinating producer, even though that is my title. Um, I look for stories for us to cover. I shoot and edit those stories. We, um, we've been working on a TikTok for Ability Media. Um, I oversee a couple interns who help us with production stuff. And that's basically the gist of what I do. Yeah, so, I mean, we have, um, we have a show coming up next, within the next month. Yep. It will be our pilot show. What do you foresee you know, your responsibilities looking like for that show? So during the show, I think most of mine will just be making sure that things run smoothly. Everybody knows their position and knows how to do it. Um, definitely making sure that the guests are where they need to be. They know what they're talking about. And then afterwards, um, we'll probably be doing some general editing of it and then promoting it everywhere. Yeah, promotion will be huge. So Ability Media, it's a big undertaking. What about it appealed to you? Why did you decide to join in the first place? Yeah, I mean, Dean Roche approached me and you about joining, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. I'm dyslexic, and I'm a dyslexic writer, so it's a big thing for me to kind of put that out there, that there are people who have some issues, but that doesn't mean that they can't overcome them and do these things. I also work at a school for kids with social, emotional, and behavioral issues, and they have a wide range of disabilities, and I did this to show them that there is a place for them if they want to be in arts, if they want to be in media. They don't just have to do like grocery jobs like people say they will. So uh, what do you hope to get out of this experience in this position? Um, I hope to get production experience and, you know, some good things to put on the resume. But I also hope to leave a foundation for future people to come in so that it'll be a bit easier because we're building the show from the ground up. So right now we barely have a skeleton of it. And I want to be able to leave that for people so that it's easier for them to produce things and that they can do shows quicker. Like they don't have to wait a month. They can just do it like weekly. Um, so we, you touched upon the school um, that you worked on. And of course you said there's a, a wide variety of people. Do you see your skills from working with the school kind of translating to how you take on different perspectives and jobs here at Ability Media? Yeah, absolutely. I think it helps to kind of understand the background that a lot of people have, which I do get from working with kids with all different kinds of disabilities. But I also, I know how to take responsibility. I know how to take control from teaching them. I know how to teach other people like interns 
below us how to use equipment and stuff. And I know how to take my time. If I'm teaching someone who has a certain disability, I know how to take my time and the best ways to get the information across to them in a way that makes sense and that they can do. Yeah, of course. How is it working with the group that you work with? How do you how do you find your relationships with them? How do you how do you find all that? It's pretty good. Um, I think we've butt heads with a couple people because we are starting from nothing and everybody has different ideas of what they want and what they want things to look like. But overall, I think we're becoming a more cohesive group and we're all there for the same reason. We want people with disabilities to feel like they have a place and that they are being represented. So I think that as long as we all keep that goal in mind, it'll all be good. Yeah, it seems like there's kind of a push happening at Quinnipiac in general about, um, you know, kind of making more of a space for people with disabilities and different abilities. We actually have um, an interview lined up this weekend with the president of the Autism Alliance. Do you have any thoughts on that group? Yeah, I think that it's great. I know that the school has not officially signed off, so they're not officially affiliated with Quinnipiac. But I think it's great that that's even happening. It's a good start. I think that the school definitely needs to work on their diversity in general, whether it be race or disability. And I think that this is a good first step to that. I agree completely. So you talked about diversity in media when it comes to people with disabilities. So recently, Sia wrote, directed, and produced the movie Music, uh, which came out recently. And many people were upset about how it portrayed people with autism. So first of all, have you seen the movie? I have not, but I have seen the trailers and I have seen a lot of the clips online. What have you heard about any criticisms about the movie? I know that it's it does not portray people with autism in a very good light. Um, they use techniques. Um, I think it's called sedating. Is that what it is? When they they basically like will tackle the person and like it's like restriction. Yeah, restraining. That's the word. They'll restrain them and. It's a very controversial practice for people with autism. I don't I don't think that you should ever restrain someone at my school. Sometimes kids have to be restrained and watching that is awful and you just see how painful it is and this is for kids who can fully understand that concept of why they are being restrained. So I don't think it's great and then also I know that she she was working with what was the organization it was oh autism speaks yeah she was she brought the organization autism speaks on board to work with her project and they are not a good organization most people in the autism community do not like them they think that their practices are bad and that they just push really bad like they just don't treat people with autism the way that they're supposed to be treated and people really hate that then there was also the thing of blackface. She made Maddie Ziegler do blackface in the beginning part of the movie. Also, should be known that Maddie didn't even want to do it. She was forced into it because Sia had her under contract. So as much as people are also blaming Maddie for it, I think we shouldn't totally jump on her because she is young. She was 18 at the time of shooting, but she didn't really have a choice. She very much did not want to go along with the project, but was forced into it. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. Um, and I think, you know, at Ability Media, I'm, for those who don't know, the director of Ability Media TV, Alicia and I work very closely together. That's the type of thing that we are trying to combat, not only through nonfiction pieces, but we also are planning to include some narrative pieces in our content that work to portray people who, whether they have uh, mental differences or 
physical differences in ways that are true to reality and that don't portray them as caricatures, like I think we can agree that Sia has done in her movie. Yeah. So I have a question. Uh, still along the lines of, of media and representation, there's, 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 con- there's a lot of controversy about uh, whether someone who doesn't have autism should play someone who has autism in a movie. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you, have, if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, I do. I mean, people will make the argument that acting is acting and anyone should be able to play any character. But when you have people who are on the autism spectrum, who are trying to get into this industry, who are being discriminated against for all these other positions, why wouldn't you put them in that? They understand it. They're a part of that community. They'll make sure that it's not played in an offensive way. And I think it's just important to give other people those opportunities. Yeah, I honestly, I, in under most circumstances, I agree with you. I think that honestly, if a part is being written in a way that a person with autism or any kind of disability can't play it, then it's probably not being written realistically. And then there's a problem even further into the roots of the project. I think that, you know, there are some people who, you know, are physically unable to do that. So if if there is a portrayal of a person who, you know, would actually physically and or mentally be unable to be on a set to do that, then there's wiggle room there. But, you know, mostly I, I agree with you. There is such a an issue with discrimination in casting and there is no reason not to start solving that by casting people who fully understand the part that's going to be Yeah, I mean, they don't have to be further down the spectrum, like as the character is supposed to be, but I think that they should at least be on the spectrum. And if your set is an environment that somebody with autism can't be on, maybe you're part of the problem. Like you're trying to solve this problem. You're trying to say, I'm an ally for people with autism. But if your set is some place that's not, safe for autistic people to be in how much of an ally are you really thank you so much alicia for for joining us we really appreciate having you on of course thank you for having me anytime i'll see you at dinner yeah (laughs) that is all we have for this installment of conversations special thanks to alicia brancato for joining us on the show and talking with us thanks so much for listening we will catch you next time make sure to follow us on twitter at q podcasts podcasts plural and we will see you next time